This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Sunday, February 9th, 2020. On this day in 2006, 29-year-old Sonia Mejia was found dead inside of her Utah apartment. Her killer was responsible for two deaths, both Sonia's and her unborn child's. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the death of Sonia Mejia. Her murder was only the first attack perpetrated by the so-called February 9th killer. Let's go back to the morning of February 9th, 2006. It was a cold February morning in the Salt Lake City suburb of Taylorsville, barely in the mid-twenties as the sun slowly began to rise. Sonia had the day off from her job at McDonald's, but she was still up early, getting her eight-year-old son off to school. Her life was only about to get more hectic. Sonia and her husband were expecting a child together and only had three months until the baby was due. After dropping her boy off at school, Sonia ran a few errands. She wasn't back to her apartment complex until 11 a.m. It was a moderately sized, cheap complex that backed up to a local golf course. That day, her husband had gone to work. She was home alone. Around 11.30 a.m., there was a loud knock at her front door. Sonia got up and went to see who was there. A neighbor across the way saw a younger Hispanic man, about 5'6", standing outside of her front door. He had short black hair that was combed back and wore denim shorts that went down past his knees, a white t-shirt and matching white sneakers. The neighbor could see that he was holding a few things, including a soft drink and a bag of Cheetos. Sonia's neighbor watched as the two of them talked for a few minutes. Sonia appeared calm, but the man grew increasingly agitated. Suddenly, the man hit Sonia on the side of her head and shoved her back into the apartment. He chased after her inside and kicked the door shut behind him. For whatever reason, the neighbor didn't call the authorities. They may not have wanted to get involved in what they viewed as a purely domestic situation. Sonia paid dearly for their inaction. Hours passed and no one else was seen entering the apartment. By 6 p.m., Sonia's husband was on his way home. He parked his car and walked toward their apartment, quickening his pace in the cold night. He opened the unlocked door and stepped inside. The lights were off and he noticed a bottle of Coca-Cola and a bag of Cheetos by the doorway, but he didn't see Sonia. 
he walked back to their bedroom to see if maybe she was sleeping. He found her, not asleep, dead. She had a dark blue bandana around her mouth and a wire around her neck. He immediately called the police and they arrived within minutes. She'd been sexually assaulted and strangled. Sonia and her unborn baby had been murdered. The police acted quickly, assessing the scene. They discovered that Sonia's car keys were missing. After a quick scan of the complex, they confirmed that her car was nowhere to be found. The killer must have taken it with him. The police theorized that whoever murdered Sonia must have been stalking her already. He knew what her car looked like, knew that she'd be home on February 9th, and that she'd be alone. For four days, patrols combed the area for her 1998 gold Ford Escort. They eventually found it about a mile away, outside of a Fairfield Inn. But their victory was brief. There were no additional clues inside the car, nothing to lead them to Sonia's killer. As the winter days turned into weeks, the case turned cold. But this didn't mean that the killer had fled town. No, they were still in Salt Lake City, just waiting for their next opportunity to strike. Coming up, we'll hear about where Sonia's killer struck next and a decade-long search for answers. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. On February 9th, 2006, 29-year-old Sonia Mejia was killed inside of her Taylorsville, Utah apartment. A neighbor saw a man arrive at her door earlier that morning, but the police hadn't been able to track him down. Exactly two years after Sonia's death, on February 9, 2008, Isaias Gomez went to pick up his mother, Damiana Castillo, from her West Valley City apartment so he could take her to work. Isaias found his mother lying on the floor of her apartment with a pillow over her head. She was motionless. She'd been killed only a mile away from where Sonia was strangled. As the police investigated Damiana's death, they felt that it couldn't be a coincidence that both of the women had been killed on the same day, in the same area, in the same manner. The perpetrator was eventually labeled the February 9th killer by the local media. Unfortunately, Damiana's case, just like Sonia's, turned cold. It wasn't for lack of trying. Despite increased patrols, the police weren't able to locate anyone in the area that matched the suspect's description who didn't have an alibi. It was two years before any new significant progress was made on the case. In 2010, a police task force was able to put together a DNA profile of their suspect. 
On February 9, 2010, Salt Lake County filed two murder charges against John Doe. It was the first time that the county had done anything like it. It meant that if anyone was detained, their DNA would be compared to that of the unknown killers on file. Authorities believed that this would make it easier to locate the suspect and help expedite the prosecution once they were apprehended. Police told women in the area to keep their guard up on the anniversary of the killings and increased patrols. However, despite the best laid plans, no one apprehended in Utah was linked to the killer for seven years. The families were left to anguish over the lack of new information and fear that the killer was still on the loose. It wasn't until November 2018 that police in Salt Lake County finally had some good news. A suspect who matched the DNA profile had been detained in another state. The authorities were working to extradite them back to Utah. After years of anguish, the families who had their loved ones ripped away from them were ready for closure. However, today, nearly two years later, the police have not released any more details. The suspect has still yet to face the charges for the February 9th murders, and the state won't make any comment as to why that is. On what is the anniversary of their loved one's deaths, these families are still waiting for answers. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more stories like this, check out ParCast Original Unsolved Murders. Today in True Crime is a ParCast Original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast Originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, and Twitter, at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Robert Tyler Walker, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 